Hello, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I have a wonderful guest. I'm so excited about this episode. I think all of you are going to want to take notes and then download all the things from this wonderful guest. My guest is Dr. Angie Store. Honestly, Rockstar might be uh, an overall <laughs> good <laughs> umbrella here. Director of the nonprofit, the Pelvic and Pain Center, and the author of the book, When It Hurts Down There. Welcome. Thank you for being with me today. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. I like the rock star thing. That sounds yeah. like kind of fun. <laughs> rock star doctor. My mom was always like, I wanted to be like president rock star person. So I feel like that applies to you too. Oh, I like it. I like it very much. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all things today. What would you say are the most common causes of pelvic or sexual pain? Oh, it's a very big category. So pelvic and sexual pain disorders encompasses like a lot of different potential problems. I'd say the things that I see most often causing pelvic and sexual pain for pelvic pain, I would say probably bladder pain syndrome, which is also known as interstitial cystitis, endometriosis, which I think a lot of people have probably heard of or Googled at some point, especially if you have nasty periods. Irritable bowel syndrome is a really common cause of chronic pelvic pain. And then as far as pain, a little bit closer down towards the genitals, stuff like vulvodynia and sexual pain would include like vestibulitis, vaginal dryness, something called vaginismus, which is where the pelvic floor muscles tighten up when they're not supposed to. So yeah, there's a lot of different potential causes. And those are all ones that I see fairly commonly outside of just a normal garden GYN stuff like ovarian cysts. Right. We're going to jump all over the place as far as like different kinds of disorders and the things that we, both of us see. And you get to see the body stuff. I get to see the brain stuff. So the great thing is we get to work together. And when we get those kinds and get to collaborate and be able to help a person as a whole human, not just part of a human. So let's start with maybe one of the most common ones. What is endometriosis and how does a person figure out that they have that? Yeah. And by the way, just a little thank you so much to people like you, because I send most of my patients to sex therapy and yeah. so happy that I have good sex therapists in my area. So yeah. Anyways, endometriosis, more or less, that's when the lining that you shed every month with your period, instead of it coming out through your vagina, some of that gets up through your tubes and spills out into your pelvic cavity. And most women have a little bit of that every month regardless. But some people, that tissue decides that it wants to find itself a nice little place to cozy up. It grabs a blood supply, it grabs a nerve supply, and it starts to grow. And it'll respond to the hormones of your cycle, just like the lining on the inside of your uterus. And it can literally kind of implant anywhere on bladder, bowel, uterus, tubes, ovaries. Those are really common places for endometriosis to kind of take root. The problem is every month when you shed your lining out your vagina, you also now start bleeding into your pelvic cavity and your inside of your abdomen really does not like blood and it causes exquisitely painful, crampy periods that are typically pretty heavy as well. Ouchie, 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 ouchie. 
Yeah, it's it's miserable. Yeah, vaginas. I feel for you out there who have endometriosis. This just got to hurt. I, I mean, pain scale. I'm sure eight. You know, eight to ten. It's one of the most exquisitely painful things that a woman can have happening during their period. Very painful. Most women with endometriosis start developing it, developing it during their late teenage and early twenties. Some of them will say, "I have had pain since I started my periods at 14." But a lot of women develop it, you know, they'll start just saying, yeah, my periods were kind of heavy. And then it started getting painful when I was like 18 or 19. And by the time I was like 22 or 23, I was laid out. Like I couldn't make it to school. I miss a day or two of work. I just like literally couldn't function. I'd be sitting with my head over the toilet for 24 hours during the first day of my period. So those are kind of common symptoms, but usually really heavy, very exquisitely painful periods is where it starts. And that's, that's usually what leads people to go to the doctor. Oddly enough, little known fact, most women have a delay of diagnosis for endometriosis from the time they first see a doctor to when they finally get diagnosed is somewhere between six to eight years. Oh, Oh, come on, medical (sighs) doctors and or community of other people. (laughs) Oh, that's tough. That's so Yes, it is really frustrating. And it's it's partially because a lot of gynecologists just... They're like, oh, it's just painful periods. Oh, it's just cramps. And they, you know, they try some of the first line treatments and never do kind of even give it a second thought. And the patient starts thinking, well, maybe I'm just nuts. Maybe I'm just crazy. Is this related to like that often thing that happens for women in the medical community of like, oh, your pain, like how, whatever you're reporting is not real? Yes. No, it's a hundred percent related to that. There's no questions asked. And actually, oh my gosh, totally off the subject. Well, sort of on the subject. They recently did a study in pediatrics and they actually showed that even pediatricians will rate a little boy's pain as more legitimate than a little girl's pain. Uh, I want to throw up. I want to throw I know, up. It makes me want to puke. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> People, I am yelling in your ears, but I, I know my female body people are just like, yes, amen. Stop it. Stop. Listen, words. I am telling the truth. So when it comes to sex, I mean, we can talk about endometriosis specifically in sex. Like what is the most common complaint you hear? So with endometriosis, depending on where the endometriosis is growing, you may have exquisitely painful intercourse as well. Most of the time, the painful sex with endometriosis is described as deep pain, or the technical term for that in the medical community is deep dyspareunia. So it hurts when he tries to get too deep in there. And the reason for that is a lot of times endometriosis likes to grow in a little pocket that's in behind the uterus right in front of the rectum. And so when he's penetrating, that's typically where the penis winds up is right behind the cervix. And if he pushes on that and there's blood in there, that hurts. So deep pain with sex is typically the kind of pain that we see with endo. The things I hear from my clients when they have, like someone is using fingers, toys, anything that they mm-hmm. use to penetrate deeply, they are saying like, oh, this does not feel good. And, but my brain really likes this, but I can't body to correspond. Yes, that happens regularly. And eventually the brain, unfortunately, will follow suit to the body. And start learning to avoid anything that hurts. Oh, I the pain might be coming. Oh, crap. The pain might be crum- coming. I don't know. I don't want to do this at all. It's all learned fear. Yep, absolutely. Yes. 
So what I do want to talk about, I'm going to make sure this is all in the show notes, folks, because you are going to want to pick up, you're going to want to pick up Dr. Soar's book because it's fantastic. And there's lots of things that are in there that you might not have considered that you may be experiencing. So I do want to talk about the, you call it the ugly stepsister. Uh, endometriosis, which is, I had to write this down phonetically so I wouldn't keep screwing it up. Adnomyosis. Adnomyosis. See? I even- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Adnomyosis. I like to call it the ugly stepsister because it's highly underdiagnosed. The funny thing about it, so in order to definitively diagnose endometriosis, I have to take a look into your tummy with a camera and take a biopsy of an area that looks suspicious and send it off to pathology. Pathology looks at it under a microscope and says, yep, it's endometriosis. Adenomyosis, you can't diagnose that with a camera in your belly. The only way to diagnose it for sure is to take your uterus out, the whole thing, and send it off to the pathologist. It's got to fully exit the body. It has to fully exit the body, not to be replaced. What adenomyosis is, is when the lining of your uterus that normally comes out through your vagina during your period starts growing into the muscle wall of your uterus. And then every month when you bleed, not only are you bleeding out your vagina, you're bleeding into your muscle tissue. And that is exquisitely painful. And usually... When we're doing an exam, or for me, when I'm doing an exam on somebody who I think might have adenomyosis, sometimes we can see some suspicious findings on ultrasound, but not always. But when I do the exam, their uterus kind of feels like the consistency of Play-Doh. And normally a uterus feels like a firm muscle, like if you were to contract your bicep muscle and touch it, it's pretty firm to the touch. That's usually what a uterus feels like. If I can kind of like put a fingerprint in it through your abdominal wall on exam, that's really suspicious to me. Mm. Say you are examining a uterus and you see the plate or you heal the Play-Doh. Like what is usually your next step? Is it we're going to remove the whole thing and check this thing out? Not necessarily. Usually if the patient's complaining of very exquisitely painful periods that are very heavy, I would start out with first-line therapy, so something a little less invasive than just removing the uterus. So a lot of times I'll start out with some birth control and see if that'll help. A lot of times, unfortunately, with adenomyosis, birth control does shit. (laughs) So if the birth control's not working, sometimes we'll try something like an IUD or an intrauterine device. The Mirena IUD is a little bit more effective than other ones. What's that? I'm a big fan of IUDs. Oh, I am too. They're the best. I have one myself. Mm-hmm. Ditto. Ditto. So yeah, the IUD sometimes will help a little bit more because the progesterone dominant part of the IUD seems to calm down those glands that have grown into the muscle wall. But most of the time, people with adenomyosis at some point pull the trigger and say, dude, just get it out. Mm, that makes sense to me. That and I would imagine then uh, there's no more pain there's no more problems other than do they typically have to go like on some sort of hormone replacement therapy to, to deal with the the loss of a uterus or do you try to keep maintaining the ovaries? We always maintain the ovaries now. Main reason. Yeah, I know. Right. One of the main reasons for that is a bunch of literature articles came out over the last like eight to 10 years or so that show that removing the ovaries, even in cases where we normally would have removed them in the past, increases overall mortality. I don't like mortality because I like my patients alive. Yes. So I typically leave their ovaries in these days. The good news about adenomyosis versus endometriosis, 
once I get your uterus out, and typically we take the tubes with it, but we leave your ovaries in. Once we take the uterus out, the area where the abnormal cells are growing is gone. And so typically that fixes the problem like on a dime. The patients have no more pain. Now with endometriosis, you still have those glands growing on other stuff that I can't remove, like your bowel and your bladder. Yes, you need and those. Yep, you need those things. And if your ovaries are still in there, it'll still stimulate those every month. When you do a treatment for endometriosis, what are you, what are you typically going to start with? If I'm really suspicious of endometriosis, even before having done surgery, I'll start with a course of birth control, which typically works better for endometriosis than it does for its ugly stepsister. But if patients aren't getting relief from that, and I'd say probably about 50 to 60% of the time, it's not going to get better with just birth control. There's a fairly new medication on the market. It came out about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, that kind of calms the system down. Before that, we were using injectables that were really harsh. They were injections that you got. You could only get them for like six months to a year at maximum. And they basically put you into medical menopause. And you can imagine the side effects of that. Ooh, yeah, hot flashes, mood swings, irritability, you want to crawl out of your own skin kind of stuff. So a lot of people didn't tolerate that well. And you could only use it for a short amount of time. The new medication that came out on the market is a pill that you take daily. You can take it twice a day in some cases, but most of the time it's a one-time daily pill. And it basically calms the whole system down to just above menopause levels. And so most patients typically don't have severe side effects from it. And the most common side effect was still hot flashes, but less than 5% of the study patients stopped taking it for that. And in my experience, I've got, I think, 30, 35 patients that are taking it. Only one has quit. Wow, that's fantastic results. So those of you- It's pretty good. There is hope out there. Quick break from the action, folks. Ah, action. <laughs> I just want to tell you about my Patreon. Every week, I bring you guests and seriously, lots of sex nerdery. <laughs> Help me keep doing that by becoming a supporter. What do you get in return? Cool perks. For real. I am going to be doing shout outs, stickers, a bunch of stuff. So check it out at ericamiley.com forward slash Patreon. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y.com forward slash Patreon. I hope to see you and see more of you by becoming a Patreon. Thanks, guys. Well, let's talk about some of the common ones like vestibulitis and other pain disorders that you see. And I kind of want to, here's the selfish want of this episode. I want to instill some people <laughs> that there are treatments available to them. Oh, absolutely. I'm all about giving hope. Vestibulitis is actually a fairly common one that I see. Being a pelvic and sexual pain specialist, a lot of my colleagues will be able to pick up on stuff like endometriosis. But vestibulitis is something that shows up in my office after several other gynecologists have been like, I don't know what's wrong. They're like, just go see sex therapy. Go, go see Dr. Storage. I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. So these patients will show up in my office and vestibulitis is an irritation of the skin of the entryway of the vagina, which we think now is probably autoimmune in nature, which means your immune system's attacking its own cells. So think of it kind of like having eczema on the entryway to the vagina. That's probably one of the better ways to describe it. And 
it seems to be that there's an overreaction to yeast when we kind of culture these cells. And so it may be actually set up by a yeast infection and your immune system just kind of wigs out and starts attacking the skin too. Then afterwards, even after the yeast infection is completely cleared up, the immune system is still attacking the cells at the entrance of the vagina. And that's where we get the irritation. There's a lot of debate between me and my colleagues about what to treat this with. The good news is it is quite treatable and different protocols that can be used are somewhat effective. What I use in my office, because it seems to be autoimmune in nature, is I use a topical steroid in conjunction with topical lidocaine compounded in aloe. So the lidocaine compounded in aloe is actually an online company. I don't get paid by them, but I love them because they put out really good, they put out really good stuff. Lidocaine typically when it's used just like the over-the-counter stuff on the the skin entryway of the vagina, it burns like, like hell. It's awful. But when you compound it in aloe, that's the only way it doesn't burn. And this is the only company that compounds it that way. Their company is, is, is cool if I mention the company. Absolutely. And we'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. It's Desert Harvest and it's just desertharvest.com. So yeah, they put out a bunch of different kinds of uh, medications, all supplements all aloe containing, but this particular one is called Relevium. That's R-E-L-E-V-E-U-M. It's 4% lidocaine compounded with aloe. And that seems to kind of more or less dumb the nerves down. It numbs up the nerve endings at the entrance of the vagina. And when it's used over time, it sort of desensitizes the brain to that. And then the steroid calms down the effect of the immune system. And usually within anywhere between two and six weeks, my patients are no longer having discomfort at the skin part. And then after that, we're just dealing with the typical kind of downstream effects of having had pain with sex, like the, the psychological issues that you guys deal with in sex therapy, as well as the muscle tension, which tends to come in, into play. That makes total sense. I My folks that have had vestibulitis, one of the things we're, we're typically working on is like, teaching the brain that not every sexual interaction is going to have pain. And that sometimes it takes some time. And a lot of the research I, I read, at least in regards to like CBT, which I mean, works for some people, CBT can be as effective as some surgeries for people. Have you seen that as well? Yes, absolutely. I love CBT. I'm actually looking at a company right now to potentially start selling it out of my office because I want to know that what I'm sending my patients to is is legit and potent like it's supposed to be. But taking both CBT orally as well as putting it topically is starting to be studied. Oh, you're talking about like CBD oil. like, like- Yeah, CBD. Oh, I thought that's what you said. Was it CBD? I said C- like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, CBT. Yeah. I thought you said CBD. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can con- you can't compound CBT, but you can compound CBD. I was like, oh, I thought you were talking so about what, CBD. If we could make a cream for therapy, you know, like that would <laughs> work out. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, cognitive behavioral therapy is very effective, actually, and there's a couple of different reasons for that. And I know you were talking just a minute ago about that. Not every sexual encounter is going to be painful. A lot of the problem after we fix the physical issue is the fact that the brain's natural response to pain is to clench. And when it anticipates pain, it's going to clench. I always tell my patients, that's why when you hit your thumb with a hammer, you don't just look at it and go, oh, shoot, that hurt. You grab it with the other hand. It's natural reaction. And so when you anticipate that something's going to hurt, your brain and your body are going to protect you against that. 
there was actually this really awful study done on rats. I don't know if you've heard of this study where they actually, yeah, they, <laughs> every time they fed the rats, they would zap their foot with electricity. We're so mean. And then I know, aren't we awful <laughs> to rats? The rats actually starved themselves to death. I, I mean, nobody wants it. So you can imagine if every time a penis comes at you and it hurts, your body's like, hell no, no way. Thank you. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me. <laughs> yeah. And even if your brain wants to do it, your subconscious is saying, no, no, it hurts. Back to the marijuana derivative. That is actually something that I have had clients in well, especially like lubricants, like from the company Foria, who has mm-hmm. CBD derivative. So do you have a suggestion for the audience that might be helpful to them as well? Like a CDB? See? See all the letters getting (laughs) CBD. (laughs) I haven't had any patients using CBD compounded yet, but I'm trying to get the CBD company that I'm working with to consider compounding CBD oil with lidocaine and aloe. That would be amazing. (laughs) I know if we could get something like that today. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And honestly, like they're all over the counter. They're all legal in the United States now. So I'm kind of hoping I might be able to convince them to try it. The only concern that I have is whether or not the lidocaine will compound well with the CBD. Because the aloe and the CBD have kind of a little bit of a different oily texture to them. So I'm not sure if they can compound them or not, but we're going to try, damn it. Mm-hmm. This is the technology like w- renaissance for us when it comes to like marijuana and finding out what it, what it can do for people sexually. There, the research is really, really positive, at least for female-bodied people. That marijuana is 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 helping with pleasure issues. It's helping pain is and sexual issues. So, soon people out there, the help is coming. Amen. We we'll keep working on it. That's right. So when it comes to like, just so people know what to do, when should people go to the doctor when they're experiencing maybe sexual pain or even when it comes to like a monthly cycle, when, when should people go to the doctor? I would say if your periods are painful enough to make you nauseated or to miss school or work, that's time to go to the doctor. You shouldn't be having enough pain during your period to have to miss daily normal activities. I have heard so many of my clients, so many of my friends that loved ones have just said, well, that's just the woman's curse. It's like, yeah. no, 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 it's not. No, <laughs> you do not have to be cursed. You are not meant for pain because you are a female bodied person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can guarantee you if every month there was a vice grip placed on a man's penis, he would do something about it. That's for damn sure. (laughs) (laughs) And the medical community would be up in arms and everybody be like, hell, we need to fix this. So I I so appreciate you being with me today. How do people find you in the world? Sure. So I practice in a little town called Frisco, just north of Dallas. So I'm the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. You can certainly come and see me in my office anytime you would like to. Our phone number at the office to make an appointment with me is 972-406. 9911. And you'll want to ask for me, Dr. Stower, or you can just say you're having a pain issue and I'll know who to send you to. I'm the only one in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex that does comprehensive pelvic and sexual pain disorders. Oh, sex specialists. We are not a dime a dozen. 
And we are not. Southern states. <laughs> Amen to that. That's right. <laughs> so I've got all of the website stuff and all of everything that's going to be in the show notes. You can get the book in PDF form at whenithurts.com. You can read the blog, which the blog has so much wonderful information on it. Whenithurtsdownthere.blogspot.com. Oh, yes. And you have a Facebook group. I do have a Facebook group. Yeah, I have a Facebook page, the Stower Center. And if you like my page, it'll give you all of the lovely detail information. I send out stuff pretty much at least three or four times a week, sometimes more than that, with links to interesting blogs, interesting articles. And I also am working on setting up an online program for people with sexual pain disorders. So yeah, I will... uh, I'll actually give you the the place where you can apply to chit chat with me personally for like, you know, 45 minutes or so and talk about your pain issue and see whether or not you would qualify for one of the programs that I do. You're going to love the website name. Ready for it? Painfree Nookie, N-O-O-K-Y <laughs> dot com backslash apply. Painfree dot com backslash backslash. Backslash like a kitchen. Backslash <laughs> apply. Oh, I love yeah, it. and that'll up. Yeah, that'll send you to a booking page where if you want to chit chat with me about your sexual pain issue and see whether or not you would qualify for a program that I do to be able to help you with that, then you actually get to talk with me personally. So I love it. Oh yeah. Everybody, everybody go to all the things that Dr. Store offers and everything will be in the show notes so that that you can be found and thank you for being with me today and thank you to everybody listening all the way to the end if you are interested in meeting with or talking with dr store please 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 follow everything in the show notes thank you again for being with me today oh erica thank you so much for inviting me it was a blast of course everybody have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.